to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. It's always a good day in God's house, but you know it's good when he shows up in power, when his presence is especially here, when he's meeting needs. Just love being in God's house. If you don't know me, my name is Evan Sestar. I'm the student pastor here at High Praises. Uh, really excited to be preaching this morning. Just want to say thanks to Dad, to Pastor Chris for giving me the opportunity to preach and bring the Word of God. And uh, just so excited uh, to, to see what he's going to do today and excited for what he's already done. It's crazy. I've been thinking lately that coming up in October, my wife and I will have been married three whole years. And then soon after that, we are expecting our very first child, which is insane. Go ahead. Yeah. It's wild. It's insane. And it just feels just like yesterday that I was standing there at the altar waiting for my bride, waiting to get married. And Elizabeth and I talk about that day a lot. That was like our favorite day ever. We wish we could relive it a hundred times over. And we just love weddings in general. Like since then, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've been in in my best friend's weddings. I've been able to officiate my very first wedding, which was a whole lot of fun. And weddings are just an awesome time. And I've noticed after going to a lot of weddings, there's there's kind of a, a general focus at every wedding. Like the groom, he's looking handsome. He's got his groomsmen up there. You know, he's cool. Maybe there's a flower girl and she does something cute and everybody laughs. But really the main focus of every single wedding is the bride. I mean, that's who everybody really came to see. They could kind of care less about the groom. I mean, when the, when the ceremony starts, the music starts playing, everybody stops what they're doing. When the music starts playing, they turn back and they, they see the bride coming in. Eventually, they stand up and, and they watch as she walks up to the front and she's got the beautiful white dress on and she's looking all beautiful. I mean, she is the center of attention. All eyes are on her as they should be. But for a moment, just use your imagination. Can you imagine this nightmare scenario? You're at a wedding. The bride is coming down. Everyone's standing looking at her. And the person beside you pulls out their phone, turns up the volume, and starts watching Netflix as she's walking down the aisle. You would get arrested. I I would fight that person. Uh, you You have to fight that person. That is so disrespectful. Or maybe they just pull up the phone and they start ordering a pizza. And you're like, bro, now is not the time. They feed you at these things. It'll be better. Like, what are you doing? Or maybe the horrific before or maybe after at the reception, some goofball gets down on one knee and proposes to his girlfriend and takes the spotlight away from the bride. I mean, you would just be so mad because you know the whole purpose of the wedding is to have all eyes fixed on the bride. I've thought about this with our relationship with Jesus, that we all know that our lives should continually be fixed on Jesus Christ. That everything that we think, say, or do should be directed at devotion and worship and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, everything should be about him. And yet if you and I were honest with ourselves We know that sometimes rather than keeping our eyes, keeping our devotion, keeping our worship and adoration focused on Jesus, we settle for lesser things that in the end don't really matter, that really aren't that important. That in fact, we sideline the Lord of all creation to worship and focus on something that is created. And I may step on some toes here, but for some of you, it may be politics. 
that you live your life obsessed with, with politics, with a party, a president, a government, how things are going. Every day you work yourself up to a brand new anxiety like it's the end of the world if things don't go how you go to the neglect of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and his kingdom. For some of you, it may be your business, maybe your finances, that everything is about getting mine and working hard and getting this to the neglect of Christ and his church and what he's called you to be, that you begin worshiping the created thing and ignoring the very creator who made all the things that you see. For maybe for some of you, it's Christ is not the center, not just of your life, of your, of your focus, but of your salvation. That you have begun to trust in yourself to do enough to be enough, to be perfect enough, that you've really convinced yourself deep down, I can earn God's favor and salvation, and you are busy trying to, to perform, perform, and perform only to fail. And can I tell you something? This ought not be so. As Christians, we cannot live our lives obsessed with the creation to the very neglect of our Creator. So that's why this morning we're looking at Colossians 15 through 20. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And here's what's going on. The church at Colossae had accepted Christ, serving Christ, worshiping Christ. Everything seemed to be going really, really good for them until a, a false religion crept in. Paul calls it man-made tradition. False religion, the philosophy of the world. He says that, that it's, it's based on the elements or the principles or the wisdom of this world. Basically, some smooth-talking philosophers got in there and said, you don't need Jesus, just do what we say. It, it resulted in crazy things. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they began to worship angels. They began to think they could save themselves by severe aestheticism. I can't eat this. I can't touch this. I can't do this. And, and, and everything, instead of being focused on Christ as, as creator, as Lord, as redeemer, as savior, focused in on created things and ultimately themselves. And so Paul is going to give all kinds of practical advice in this letter. But he begins by literally just writing them a beautiful worship song. He writes to them a, a hymn of praise and worship to God. That his entire argument and the entire book of Colossians is based on this wonderful hymn that he has written to extol and worship and praise God. That at the center of Paul's argument, at the center of this little song we're going to read, at the center of this sermon I'm preaching to you today, Paul is trying to fix your eyes away from the lesser things of creation and to magnify and glorify and focus in on the centrality and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is calling us to worship. He is calling us to see Jesus for who he is. And this sermon today will be a whole lot less about what you need to go home and do or anything like this, and much more about you understanding and comprehending just how powerful, awesome, and great the Lord Jesus is. So if you would, would you stand in honor of the word? And we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Listen to this beautiful poem, this beautiful hymn by the Apostle Paul. Speaking of Jesus, he says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Thank you. You can be seated. So Paul is, is frustrated that these Christians at Colossae have, have uh, uh, basically exchanged the glorious creator for created things. They've exchanged the, the, the truth of Christ for man-made religion. They've exchanged the worship of God for the worship of creation. And so the way he's going about this is before he does anything else, he wants to write us a worship song that's basically saying, Colossians, let me, or yeah, the Colossians, let me describe to you just how beautiful and wonderful and powerful this Jesus is that you are presently neglecting. Let me just make much of him. And so today, today is going to be a little bit more meticulous. It's going to be a little bit more theological. But what I want to do is I want to go line by line almost through this worship song, through this poem, and along with the Apostle Paul, I want us just to know how great and how awesome and how powerful, how central Jesus is. So put your seatbelts on, put your thinking caps on. I mean, get ready for just like a fire hydrant of, of how great and awesome Christ is. Can everybody do that? Nice, let's go. So first he says this, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. What does he mean that he's the image of the invisible God? He means that Jesus Christ is the expression Jesus Christ is, is the message. Jesus is the portrayal of the very heart and the very character of who God is. In fact, John, John uses a different word at the beginning of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So what do an image and what does a word, what, what do they have in common? They are both expressions of something. It's a picture of something or a description of something that you hear or that you read. Christ is the very expression of who God is. And in fact, when Christ came to the earth, he pretty much affirmed this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I did not come to speak my own words, but only those words that I have heard from him. Christ is God and the very expression of God. And this is where it blows my mind, and I don't have an explanation, so just take it and deal with it. Even before there was a single creation, even before there was anybody to reveal God to in some eternal, mysterious way, Christ was really the expression, the word, the image of the character and nature of God. Now that should just blow your mind. I mean, that's crazy from all of eternity. But then he goes on. He says that he is the firstborn over all of creation. Now, y'all might be thinking, okay, um, I thought Jesus was God. What do you mean he's the firstborn over all creation? Are you saying that he's a created being? Are you saying that he's less than God? Are you saying God made Jesus and he's like, he's a demigod like Hercules or one of those guys? No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. One, he says he's over all creation, not the firstborn of creation. Two, Paul's going to clarify this in a little bit so we don't have to worry, we don't have to stress. But why is he using the language firstborn over all creation? Paul is grabbing onto a cultural term. 
That especially in the Hebrew culture, the firstborn was in a place of prominence. The firstborn was in a place of honor. In fact, God told the Israelites, you will actually consecrate your firstborn to me. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob steals the, the birthright because of the soup and all that, you know what I'm talking about, right? The whole reason that's such a big deal is because Esau was the firstborn in a place of honor. And in fact, he would receive a double portion of the inheritance, and Jacob was all sneaky and stole it from him. So what Paul is trying to say here is not that Christ is a creation, that he wasn't and then he was because God made him, but that he is actually in a place of honor and prominence over all of creation. Does that make sense? He is over all of creation. Then he says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Not only is Christ over all creation, he made all of creation. He says everything you see, whether heaven and earth, the spiritual realm of the angels and the demons, or the physical realm that we see here today, whether visible or invisible, this is kind of a, another way of saying that. But even then the physical, he created the invisible. He created the gravity that you know exists, but you can't even see. He made everything, everything that you see. But then he goes on to clarify. He says that he made everything that you see whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Christ did not only create everything, but he created authorities, and he has authority over all authority. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so in short, Christ has authority over the American government. Christ has authority over the president or over Congress. As Jesus was literally a baby in the manger, he had authority over the Roman Empire. I mean, that is crazy to think about. He has authority over all authority, but not just earthly authority, spiritual authority too. What do we know about Satan? Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness. He is over the kingdom of darkness. So in some crazy way, I know this sounds like Lord of the Rings or something, but it's the Bible, it's real life. There is a spiritual realm with spiritual authorities that Satan has a little bit of it, but Christ has all of it. He, is the, he has the authority over him. Then he tells us this, all things were created through him, and listen to this, and for him. Can I just like give you a little dose of humility Everything that you see was not created for you. It was created by Christ and for Christ. There is nothing that is all about you. It's all about Jesus. He made it and he made it for his own glory. None of this is about you. It's all about Jesus. And then he says this, he is before all things. You were created. You were made. You were born into the world. Some of y'all don't want to tell us how long ago you were born, right? I'm 24. Some of y'all can keep that information to yourself. You were created. Christ is so much better than you and everything else because he's always existed. He existed before time was created. Let that blow your mind. And then he says this, and in him all things consist. Other translations say that in Christ all things hold together. That if Christ did not presently choose to hold reality itself together, creation itself together, who you are and everything you know would cease to exist. I mean, he's literally holding the atoms 
together right now by the word of his power. That is mind-blowing. So the Apostle Paul is writing this hymn to make so much of Jesus. He is the very expression of God's nature. He is the creator of all things. He holds all power and he holds all authority. Everything that you see was created by him and for him. And everything that you see stays together because he makes it so. If that is not a great, mighty, awesome God, I don't know what is. That should blow your mind. And that's exactly what Paul's going for, but he's frustrated. He's frustrated because the, the, the church here at Colossae has exchanged this great, mighty, awesome, powerful creator for the creation. He says you've, been, you, you've, you've bought into a religion that functions from the principles or the wisdom of this world, the elements of this world. It's philosophy. He calls it empty deceit and man-made religion. You've bought into what the world says is most important. And it's changed how you worship. You used to worship Jesus, and now you're worshiping angels, created beings, the creation rather than the creator. And they've transferred their own sacred books. We don't listen to the apostles anymore. We don't read the Bible anymore. We go to human men who claim to have ecstatic visions about the truth of the spiritual realm. We don't receive divine revelation, but human revelation. It's changed the way they live. They have all these aesthetic practices. I can't touch, I can't eat, I can't do. They tell them they have to be circumcised now in order to be saved. Paul is looking at them and he's going, how in the world have you traded something so good, someone so powerful, the creator of the universe, for something so small and lowly? But I am afraid that some of us have done the same thing too. That you have taken your eyes off of the author of the universe for whom all things were created, for whom. And instead, you've obsessed and honored and worshiped the creation. I said it earlier, and I know it makes you uncomfortable. For some of you, it may be politics. I'm not talking about a particular party, a particular side. I'm talking about politics in general. That you have lived by the principles and the philosophy of the world. That politics is the most important thing that matters. I mean, it tops everything and I'm going to obsess over it. And then you go and you have your own special revelation. I mean, it shows you worship the American government, the success of your policy, policy or, or your party or whatever else. And every morning there may be dust on your Bible, but you do not miss quiet time with Ben Shapiro, Don Lemon, Fox News, or CNN. It shows who you worship. And it changes in, in, the, in the way that you live, that it's no longer love God and neighbor, it's dismiss God and then try and own my neighbor in a Facebook comment section somewhere about how I'm right and you're wrong. We're good at making our own gods, folks. Maybe it's with your business or your family or whatever else. The principle of the world says getting money and getting it fast is the most important thing. The height of success is being rich and your God is the almighty dollar instead of the almighty God. You dismiss your family and your church and your relationship with God to pursue something that will ultimately burn away. And it could be a number of things. But we take what is created and we put it front and center. 
And listen to me, those things in and of themselves are not bad. Politics in and of themselves are not bad. Get educated. Go vote. Make a difference. I mean, your family, your kids are really, really important. I'm excited to find out soon just how important they are. They're just not, they're just not everything. Your business is good. Make money. Do well. Give to others. Be successful. It's a good thing. It's just not everything. I kind of think of it this way. On my little iPhone here, um, I've got this little light right here. Like, do y'all use this light as much as I use it? Like, I think I'm using this every day for something, you know? And so, and so I'll use it. Like, maybe I've dropped something under the couch just real quick and easy. I can, I can pull it out and look under there. Or, or, or maybe I'm uh, downstairs in the Mac, and I don't want to cut all the lights on. It's too much of a process. So I'll just, like, do that in the sanctuary. I don't know about y'all, but a dark church is the scariest place. Like, it's the one place you think demons wouldn't be, and then you get in there, and you're like... You know, I don't know. I'm doing the sign of the cross. I'm doing, anyways. So, you know, I use it in all of these, all of these scenarios. And, you know, it's good. But you can tell right now, this honestly isn't the best flashlight out there. I mean, I mean it's, it's good. I use it in some scenarios. But it's not really the best. It's not really everything. It's not really suitable in all situations. In fact, it's pretty useless right now. Because this light's like okay, but it is severely outshined by these professional blinding lights right here. Doesn't mean it's not important or I don't use it. It's just not everything. And I've come to tell you that the things that maybe you've put in place of Christ aren't necessarily bad, aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not everything. And Paul is trying to speak to the church and he's trying to speak to you to magnify Christ, to make him so big and so glorious and so bright that you realize the thing you're presently worshiping cannot even compare to the glories and excellencies of the Lord Jesus. I mean, imagine being addicted to the best political commentator, the person who knows business the best, to the the neglect of the very image and word of Christ. Searching for human wisdom instead of divine wisdom. The one who holds the mystery of God and the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Paul says. You know how goofy that sounds? In light of how great God is, we'd be addicted to all of those things. Imagine worshiping a created thing. A dollar, a house, a car, a country, a political party. And all the while, we have direct access to the glorious creator of the universe who has always existed. It sounds kind of stupid, doesn't it, when you think it through? Imagine trusting in an authority like an American government or your business model or whatever else when you know the one who holds authority over everything whose only kingdom will stand when it's all said and done. Imagine trusting in a government or a party who will never get their act together at the expense of the one who holds all things together. All of creation is not for itself, but Christ created it for him. And if it does not ultimately lead back to him, You are not worshiping God, you're worshiping in an idol, and you're wasting your time. Christ is calling you to come back to him today. He's calling you to make him front and center. He's calling you not to ditch this or ditch that or ditch politics or ditch, you know, making money or whatever it is. He's calling you to put it in its right place. And he's calling you to place him at the top so that who you worship, who you devote yourself to, who you devote your life to 
who you think about most would not be on this world, but would be on the Lord Jesus. What do you have in place of Christ? But Paul is not just frustrated that they've put Christ uh, on the sidelines and focused on something else. He's frustrated and he's concerned because they have replaced Christ as the source of their salvation. And so actually the back half of this song is about Christ and, and, and how he is central to our redemption. He's central to our salvation. You could say the, the first half of the song is about creation and the second half of the song is about recreation. I stole that out of a book. I didn't make that up, but I liked it. It helped me to remember. Creation and then recreation. And so what I want us to do is, is let's walk through how does, how does Paul make much of Jesus, not just as the creator, but as our savior and our redeemer. Here's what he says here, beginning in verse 18. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So what does he call him? He calls him the head of the body. Jesus is quite literally on top. Like he is quite literally in first place. But more than that, if you did not have Christ as your head, you would have no spiritual life or hope. Because just like you have to put food into your head, chew it up and swallow it to nourish the rest of your body, unless you are attached to Christ, you have no life in you. He is the vine and you are the branches. You need him for your life. He is central on top for your life and salvation. But he tells us that um, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, that he may be on top, have all authority and honor and power. What does he mean? He means this, that in your sin, you are dead and there's nothing you can do to make yourself alive again. Absolutely nothing. So what did Christ do? He became a man. He died on a cross and he rose up three days later to be the first one to do it so that everyone in this room could follow him. That because Christ rose again first, because the head rose again first, the body could follow. That if you cannot save yourself, but because he rose again, you can rise again too. And he has first place in everything. But then he, he goes on, he says this, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. What does he mean? It pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell. Then in this mind-blowing, mysterious way that in the God-man, in incarnate Christ, the fullness of the deity dwelled in him so that when you saw Christ, you saw God. Think about this. Because of your own sin, you could not make your way up the mountain to get to God. There was a chasm far too deep and wide for you ever to have a restored relationship with him. So you know what God did? The fullness came down for you. That should blow your mind. And he says this, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Sin first separates us from God, the things on earth from the things on heaven. And so Christ came and he died 
The blood of the cross made a way for our sins to be forgiven, to be atoned for, so that we could be restored back into right and proper relationship with God. We were enemies, but we are now reconciled through the blood of the cross. But he also restored the things on earth, that through sin we not only hate God, but we hate our neighbor. But through Christ we can love God and we can love our neighbor. That the hostility and the the vitriol and the division that existed before is wiped away in Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. There is only Christ Jesus. That he came to end the division between humanity and between God and man. Do you see how Christ is at the very center, not just of creation, but of recreation? At the center of our salvation, the head of the body, the first one to rise again so that we could follow the fullness of the Godhead stepped down for us, the blood on the cross so that we could have reconciliation. Paul is trying to speak to these Colossians and say, you will not be saved by your aesthetic practices. You will not be saved because you don't eat one food and you eat the other. You will not be saved by circumcision. You will not be saved by anything you do because you can't. You are saved by Christ and Christ alone. He is at the very center of your salvation. Uh, recently, this, this Thursday, me and Elizabeth did something that I'm not sure we had done since the, the COVID era had began. We actually went and physically watched a movie in a movie theater, which is just crazy for us. We don't watch that many movies to begin with, but we were up in Easley for, for we wanted to eat this restaurant, so we went to the movie theater in Easley, and I didn't realize they've got the fancy couches where you're like leaning back and you got the like tray, and it was awesome, it was great. I I don't know. I don't know why I'm saying that. I just had a good time. Anyways, that has nothing to do with this. So we went and we watched the movie A Quiet Place 2. And I'm not going to spoil it because there's already a first one. You already know this. The whole premise of A Quiet Place is that aliens have invaded Earth and they can hear really well. They can't see, but they can hear really well. So you have to be really, really quiet so that they don't eat you. Well, at the very beginning of this movie, um, the, the, one of the main characters is driving in her car up this main street because aliens are attacking. And she's just trying to get out, and she's driving forward, and all of a sudden, this bus starts driving right at her. And she's got to put the car in reverse, hit the gas, back up, and make sure that this bus doesn't slam right into her. Well, in the movie, it looks like she's doing everything. I mean, she's got the wheels. She's you know, hitting the gas. It looks like she's controlling everything, but obviously, we know movies are fake. Well, before the movie, Elizabeth kind of filled me in. She had watched this interview about the movie. How they filmed that scene is the woman, the the actress, was in the car. You know, she's doing all this, but she has no control of the car whatsoever. In fact, there was like a professional driver who was on top of the car that had all his own equipment and everything, and he was the one responsible for going forward, slamming on the brakes, putting in reverse, and going back. So he's sitting on top of the car the whole time, but it looks like she's the one doing it. And apparently in the interview, she said something like, my life is in your hands. You know this. And he said, I'm the best. And so she didn't die in the movie, thankfully. But, but when, you, when you look at the movie, what does it look like? It looks like the woman's doing so much. It looks like she is this professional driver. It looks like she has the best reflexes of all time. I mean, she is, you know, do it for Dale. She is out there getting it. But when you zoom out and you realize how they filmed it, here's what you notice. That her not dying and filming this movie 
had nothing to do with everything she was doing down here, but everything to do with the guy who was above her. And I've come to tell you today that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. You can perform and try and cry and do all of these little things to save yourself, but you are wholly dependent on the one who is above you. But often we try. We think we can get it under control, and it it kind of plays out in various ways. One of the first things I think we do, I call it evangelical penance. If you don't know about the Roman Catholic Church, when you sin and you confess to a priest, in order to get rid of temporary punishment, they may give you penance, which means you need to pray the Hail Mary 10 times and you'll get rid of your punishment. Or pray the Lord's Prayer 15 times and you'll get rid of your punishment. It's what pious good thing can I do in order to earn God's forgiveness? And we kind of have our own version that we make up of this, that we sin and we fall and we're convicted and we genuinely hate what we do. Instead of just looking to the blood of the cross, it's never enough for us. And so we think that we have to go kicking and screaming and crying, and we have to cajole God into doing what he's already promised to do and begging him one more time to forgive us or else he won't do it, that it's not enough that he sent his son to literally die on the cross for us. He's still wondering, maybe I'll forgive him. And so we start crying, and the tears go, and I'm, not ta- I'm talking far past the immediate conviction. I mean, you're putting on a show, and you're going, I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. And you, like, you think you've got to say it a lot. And then you move into the self-flagellation portion where you're just like, you know, God, I'm so sorry. I hate myself. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm the dumbest person I know. And you start insulting yourself, and you think you got to really put on this show. For God to maybe decide he'll forgive you. And at the center of all of that is not Christ, it's you. But can I give you the gospel today? Your sins are forgiven not by a show you put on or how well you can convince Jesus to forgive you. Your sins are forgiven by the blood of the cross. The work is already finished. Maybe today you you play the comparison game. That if you were honest with yourself, you were a bit on the self-righteous side. That as long as you're better than the people around you, then you and God are good. So you're scrolling on Facebook and you see someone that's supposed to be a Christian and they're out there wilding out and you're like, God, I'm not like them. It's 9 p.m. on a Saturday and I'm reading Colossians. I bet you're impressed. And so you think like you can compare yourself to other people. Here's the problem. There will always be someone, at least on the outside, who looks more holy, more good, and more pious than you. And the moment you run into them, your world comes crashing down. Because you've based all of your salvation and all of your assurance on how well you can perform, but that person makes you like the, the chief of sinners. But you are not saved by how good you perform. You were not saved by good works. You were saved first for good works. But you were saved by the blood and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Christ is at the center of our lives. He is the creator. He is the recreator. In all things as a Christian, he must be front and center. So church, would you stand today? Take a moment to just analyze your life. 
Take a moment to look at your relationship with Jesus. Take a moment to ask yourself, who is front and center? Is it some created thing? Is it your business, your children, your job, the government, politics? What is it? What is central to your life? And then ask yourself this question. Have I trusted or do I continue to trust? Is this a mindset? I'm not questioning your salvation, but do I live my life as if I can save myself or if only Christ can save me? Do I live my life in the comparison game, in the performance game? Do I live my life thinking I've got to earn this salvation? Do I trust that none of this is about me anyways? Christ is enough. So I want to give you an opportunity to meet with God. So if you would, everybody just step down to the altar. Come on, step out of your seats and step down to the altar and have a moment, have a time to meet with the Lord Jesus. And as they begin to to sing, take this time to pray. Take this time to cry out. Take this time to, to, to speak to God. Take this time to recenter your focus in whatever way you need to. And know this Christ is all in all. Christ is supreme. Christ is all you need. So as the band begins to sing, would you begin to have a moment with God and recenter your life and focus on Him? Come on, begin crying out to Him today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.